Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to All Stats Aren't We, a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings-on at Elland Road, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the numbing inevitability of the podcast. I feel empty inside. And I'm joined by the broadly promising first half of the podcast, Joe Hill. Could it possibly? And finally, the slow decline into death of the second half of the podcast. No, it could not. It's Tom Alderson. Tom, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I thought the original plan was we're going to do a Ryder Cup podcast this weekend, but uh, that's going really badly as well. So we're going to just have to talk about Leeds United because I think that's slightly better than talking about the Ryder Cup at the moment. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the two sports that we've decided to watch this weekend have gone pretty badly. Another person who is joining us is the sexy gravelly husk of Joe Hill. His voice is packed in after a after a wonderful afternoon at Elland Road. So, Joe, how are you? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. Um... Yeah, apologies to everyone for having to listen to this horrible voice for <laughs> the next hour. But um, yeah, it's just testament to how how well I was cheering them on yesterday. And uh, actually, the atmosphere was really good until about 60, 70 minutes. So um, yeah, it was nice to be back at Ellen Road, even if the result wasn't so great. Your voice is pretty fitting testament to the way that the game went, really. So what better voice <laughs> to have for this podcast in which we, we cover uh, an inglorious loss to West Ham? Well, let's jump in with the game summary. Obviously, we lost 2-1 to West Ham at, at Elland Road. Uh, Leeds set up in a 4-1-4-1 to counter West Ham's 4-2-3-1, which is all nice and structurally sound. Um, in terms of the lineup, the things to make note of was the fact that Charlie Cresswell made a league debut and I think performed pretty well. Um, Jamie Shackleton was at right back and Stuart Dallas was in midfield, despite the fact I think the majority of the fan base wanted things to be the other way around. Um, and then we saw Rodrigo up front, I think, probably for the first time starting this season um, and Mateus Click in midfield. Unfortunately, the game followed the same sort of pattern for games this season. We started fairly brightly and the first half was, was okay. However, I didn't feel like Leeds generated too much in the way of big chances and we relied a lot on Melier to dig us out of a few situations. I think there was a couple of one-on-ones in the first half. 
halftime saw us move Dan James out for Jack Harrison. Um, and as has happened, as we've said a lot of the time in recent podcasts, the opposition gradually grew more threatening uh, and then it eventually equalised around 70 minutes, at which point Rafinha came off and Leeds looked much less dangerous on the break. Uh, the winner came in injury time, West Ham breaking and finding Antonio in space. And it was a disappointing result for me because I think we both deserved to win and deserved to lose in different ways. And I'm sure we will talk about that as we go on. I don't think there's really much else to say in terms of the game summary. So let's move on to the interrogation. So this is the interrogation. This is the part of the show where I put five questions to the panellists and where you try and make sense of, of what happened yesterday. So first question and this is a question I think was reflected by quite a few listeners as well um, a lot of the listeners were interested in why are we looking better in first halves than second halves um, and and so I think that's probably a good place for us to jump in on this one I'll start with you Tom Alderson what do you make of this question why do you think we look better in first halves than second halves I think sort of generally this season which isn't actually relevant to the game yesterday but like the game state's gone against us a lot this season we're not and against us but we've been down early so it has affected the game um so I, I think um generally in the second half like we're gonna the opposition are gonna make us look worse if they're already ahead I think specifically yesterday I think um and again this this could be relevant over time as well as I just think the man marking seems to sort of progressively get worse as the game goes on I don't know if this is something you uh, you to agree with but like the man marking this is, this year, we've said a few times, doesn't hasn't been at its best anyway. But I think um, when it goes wrong at the moment, it goes really wrong. And I think in the second half of games, it's been going wrong a lot more. So it's made us look a lot worse and concede worse chances. Yeah, I think that's right. I certainly noticed the man marking falling apart in the second half, let's say. I think everyone everyone's trying to cover each other's men aren't they so there are times when one person loses their man and someone covers and I'm not sure if it's because there's a couple of new players in like Shackleton or Cresswell but that kind of synergy between the team of who's actually covering who it just isn't there at the moment and it just becomes an absolute shambles when there's a spare man and then one person moves over to cover and doesn't get cover for the man that they've just left and it's just a huge domino effect so I do agree that I think it's to do with the man marking and actually coming back to the original question about first half, second half, I think the squad depth has to come into it for me for the for the second half. When Dan James comes off at half time and then Rafinha has to come off for an injury. So then both wingers have changed and Tyler Roberts is playing on the wing and you know, it's just the the squad depth is so thin that we used to run teams into the ground late on in the game and bring on some fresh legs and maybe bring on Hernandez last season. And this season, we just haven't had that so far. And I think that's really affecting us. Tom, in terms of what Joe's just touching on the end there of his, of his answer, he's talking about an attacking fall away. Um, so what do you make of that? You mentioned like the defensive fall away, but what, what about this sort of decline in attacking, which I think is pretty clear. Like we, we, we're getting to the last 20, 30 minutes of games and just not looking like we're going to score. Um, uh, I mean, I say that we, we have scored some late goals this season, obviously, but I think those goals did come from sort of moments where we, we least expected those, those goals to come from. I think the, the Burnley goal, um, in the 85th minute or so, um, sort of came from a, a moment of brilliance from Rafinha breaking breaking in behind their defence but um, what do you make of that that side of things Why, is, is it simply that we've, we we aren't, are not generating enough chances and therefore we're just looking a little bit lacking I think it's pretty evident 
not not just towards watching, but to opposition teams that if they stop Rafinha at the moment, they tend to stop Leeds. So I think as the game goes on, that once teams figure out that oh, if we can sort of uh, reduce Rafinha's um, chance ability to create chances or have shots, then Leeds aren't going to be as threatening. So uh, yeah, as the as the game will go on, like it's just. The, the ball seems to be going to him less and less. So, like, there's more chances for other players, but like, you just would you'd rather have it going to Rafinha if possible. Yeah, Joe, you mentioned the the man marking and and the sort of domino effect that that occurs when when one player loses their marker and everyone else has to cover. I think it's notable that in the game yesterday, I think both of the goals you can trace back to Junior Firpo being uh, out of position in certain ways. So, in the first one, for some reason, he seems to be marking. Mikhail Antonio, I think he's tra- he's tracked Pablo Fornells across the field and then he's out of position. And then what we see then is Liam Cooper having to cover across to, to take on Jared Bowen. And that's when the first goal arrives. And the second one, I think, Junior quite in quite an advanced position. And then obviously the ball goes through his um, fullback area again. Uh, and that's where uh, obviously everyone then pulls across. And so Cooper is playing as the left back. Creswell gets across uh, and... Um, I, I think I think maybe I, I can't remember who he was marking. Maybe Bowen again, uh, but then Mikhail Antonio is obviously let free in the in the middle and and scores that goal. So, do we think that part of this is to do with Junior maybe being a little bit slow to pick up on the the man marking system, Joe? Yeah, possibly. I mean, that would make sense given that he's a new signing. Um, I think there just has to be there has to be a line with the man marking doesn't there where if if you're in the left back position and the right winger just suddenly switches you know there has to be a line that you draw where you say actually I can't follow him all the way across the pitch because that's going to leave a a gaping hole and I'm not sure whether that's something that Bielsa is saying to Firpo that you should track him across the pitch or you know whether that's Firpo's mistake so it's quite hard to say Um, but certainly it, it, it would line up that he is the least experienced in the man-marking system, so it's only natural that he would make the most mistakes within that system, I think. We saw it a couple of times yesterday that um, the man-marking system sort of caused problems. Like, And I know, I think for the first goal, Phillips moves out and follows Ben Rama and then to Bowen's in acres of space. And I know Firpo should have been there, but it's like it's, it's that line you talk about with the man-marking system where Phillips could have stopped that goal, really, uh, but he was following his man which is what he was supposed to do so you could, it's hard to criticise for him for it but it just causes problems and I think with the second goal as well you saw Matthias Click running after Declan Rice because I think that was Click's man whereas he he was never going to catch Rice in that situation so would the more sensible thing have been to maybe track Antonio or try and cover another player because he wasn't really adding anything to us defending at that point but like like we say they, they, are, they have to man mark and that is what they're being told to do so it's it's hard to criticize them even though it's causing us problems a lot of the time yeah i mean there's definitely an element of de- decision making possible in our system as well right it's it, you, you do man mark until you get to a position where you recognize there's a more dangerous option than your own marking responsibility and it's, it sounds like you're referencing two moments there where actually it looks as though players have made the wrong decision in terms of where the danger was lying. So uh, I definitely agree with that as well. But this brings us quite nicely onto our second question, which is this. Are you more concerned about us offensively or defensively this season? I'll start with you on this one, Tom. I feel like the right answer would be to say defensively. But what's weird to me is that because we've been bad defensively, but last season, um, quite a few seasons, is that I'm more like that's always bad. So I'm not concerned about it. Whereas like offensively, we've definitely taken it a step back this year whereas like even last year when we were 
conceding a lot of chances. We were creating a lot of chances. And like, whereas at the moment now, like we're really bad at defending and we're not creating chances either. So it's just not good. So like, you feel like one of these things needs fixing. And the offensive side is something that we know can work. Whereas there's no evidence really that we can be good defensively in the Premier League I would say yeah even just looking at FB ref now in terms of XG I think we were in like the top we were in the top four in terms of the XG that we were generating um, and at this point in time there are a couple of teams who haven't played yet on this data but uh, we've dropped down a little bit down to about seventh I think and we're heading towards the towards the mid table on that and and obviously we're in the bottom three when it comes to expected goals against so yeah I think I'm in the same boat in terms of it's fine to be as defensively open as we are as long as we're generating enough chances to make that worthwhile and I think part of the reason why we're so open defensively is because we we make that gamble right we we put ourselves in the box in dangerous situations to be like as long as we're generating enough chances and good chances then we will you know yeah we'll concede some but we'll be scoring more uh, especially against some of the weaker sides and this season it doesn't look like it's happening Joe Hill what's your take on this? Yeah, I do agree. I think I was initially thinking that defensively that was my biggest concern and then listening to you chaps I kind of agree that actually that that has been a concern for the last few years but it's the the offensive side that's that's dropped off really but then still thinking about yesterday Melier made a couple of fantastic saves to keep us in the game. We still conceded was it it was about, it was 2xg roughly wasn't it? Um so, which you know, which is a lot. Um, so it, it is concerning. And when you think about this time last season, we still had a couple of clean sheets in the bag. I think we had one against Sheffield United away, Aston Villa away. Um, I might be missing one or two there, but um, yeah, we haven't kept a clean sheet yet this season out of six games. And even even coming up to the Watford game, you think, okay, well that should be one that we win. But will we keep a clean sheet? Because Watford look like they can score, you know, Sars playing really well for them. So it is quite worrying that um, we're yet to keep a clean sheet for me. So, um, yeah, I, th- I think out of the two, I would probably say defensively, even though that is something that's been poor in Bielsa's time since he started. Question three is about Rodrigo. So I think there's an argument to be made that particularly the first half was the best we've seen Rodrigo this season. Um, I think that's it, linked to the fact that he was playing as a striker. Uh, and I think we've generally on this channel, we've said that we don't like Rodrigo as a midfielder. Um, we'll start with you on this one, Joe. Was this Rodrigo's best game for us this season? I'm not sure if it is. I, I agree that his, his first half performance was pretty good, but I think I was caught up in the moment with just getting frustrated at him and his, his pressing style. Um, I know that we always talk about this, so I don't want to go on about it too much, but there's just so many times where if he loses his man or let's say he's marking one of the centre-backs and then they play a pass into one of the defensive midfielders, then suddenly he just starts walking or just turns away and it's just really frustrating to watch because even though technically that's not his job and you know he shouldn't be covering everyone else, you still want to see that he's putting in 110% all the time and... I feel like with Bamford, when you watch him, you can always see the effort. And with Rodrigo, it's it doesn't seem like it's there. And I think my judgment is a bit clouded because, like I say, being at the game, I was just getting quite frustrated actually with watching him walking around the pitch, and um, that potentially um, stopped me from seeing the good moments from Rodrigo. 
um, because, like you say, the first half, there were certainly plenty of good moments from him. Yeah, it's interesting. I was looking again at FB Ref this morning at the at the pressing numbers because, I mean, the pressing didn't feel too bad yesterday. I think that's partly because it was quite an open-ended game um, and, and both teams were sort of going going at one, one another and trying to counter-attack the counter-attacks. I think David Moyes came out in the post-match press conference and said... You know, when you face a team like Leeds who who break on you at, at speed and you and you win the ball back, the only thing you want to do is break back and 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 try and exploit those spaces. So, it was very much a a game of basketball klaxon. Um, just looking at the defensive actions, then it, it actually the I think the lowest or maybe joint lowest number of pressures with the Newcastle game with 110 pressures, um, definitely down pressures wise in the attacking third I think that's probably because Bamford isn't playing um, and yeah the majority of the, the, the pressing came in the, in the midfield third um, pressure success down to 25.5 which I think is probably our lowest again this season um, which is again we will at some point do something on, on pressing numbers because I think that, that there's a lot of contextualization that is needed for them um, but it does suggest that even with even with Rodrigo up front, the the pressing wasn't maybe as as sparkling as we would like it to be. Um, Tom Alderson, what did you make of of Rodrigo in the game yesterday? I thought the first half he was very very good. I f- um I thought like he he linked so he d- sort of kind of dropped in and linked the play very nicely. Um, into in terms of the actual question, I would say like the first, I would say that he played better away at Newcastle, but I think the first forty five minutes here uh, yesterday were probably his best of the season I think what, what I liked yesterday is about him like dropping in linking the play and I think when he first signed John you you wrote like a scout report on him and you said that to make Rodrigo work potentially one option would be for him to drop in and to play almost two sort of inside forwards on the wing and I think that was something we saw a bit more yesterday um, obviously much more in Rafinha's case than Dan James's case but it did for me it did work much nicer and I think it was I don't think Rodrigo can play like Bamford can in this system, so we, we kind of have to adapt it. And I think for the first 45 minutes yesterday, we did see that, and I think he did work really well. I guess for for me, the thing with Rodrigo is that when you play him as a forward, he is always going to drop deep, like you said. And so by not playing him in midfield and him dropping deep, you then sort of end up with an extra player in the midfield area, which I think obviously suits him because like he, you don't really want to worry about him too much in terms of the defensive work. But at the same time, as you said, with him dropping deep, then you lose that that focal point for your for your link up play in the in the advanced areas, and you also have a, a, a one fewer body, I think, on that on that line where you know when the positional play where we end up with with players attacking each one of those channels between the the opposition centre backs basically, um, and you you see the midfielders pushing forward trying to get into that line so that if the ball gets into the wide area the player can just put it through that corridor of uncertainty and there will be someone to attack the ball through each of those channels. I think we, we lose him in that regard to a certain extent. So where you'll see Bamford looking pretty dangerous. Um, in those in those sort of situations and and looking for front post runs particularly to just sort of clip it in you don't see Rodrigo doing that and so as you say you then do rely on on I guess players like Dan James getting in into the box running on on those more 
angled runs into dangerous spaces and I'm not sure it necessarily worked yesterday there was a chance when Dan James had a shot at the front post roughly um, where the ball came in but it was just cleared out straight away it was pretty much blocked um, but that's the only time I can really remember um, him coming in into the box and being dangerous like that and then obviously with uh, with Rafinha you see him cutting in onto his onto his left foot into central spaces and, and taking those chances as well um, Joe, what do you what do you make of the attacking side of, of Rodrigo's game that, that Tom was talking about there? Yeah, I, I thought it was really good in the first half and I completely agree that him dropping back is looking good for us, actually. The, the times when um, we're getting pressed high from the opposition um, and it looks like we can't break through the press and sometimes we just launch one over to Bamford and you know, then we lose possession again. Um, we, we're seeing a couple of times Rodrigo just dropping into the centre circle and receiving it to his feet and then just laying it off to click or whoever's in the middle um, and then spinning and, and, and generating an attack from there, which I think is nice pattern of play. And it's nice to see that. Um, it's nice to see that happening a bit more. And it makes you think oh, maybe Bamford will try that every now and then. Maybe they can improve each other's games. Um, in watching each other so I think certainly to have that other aspect of the, of the game um, is healthy for Leeds but um, ultimately I would still prefer having Bamford as a nine and um, maybe just taking that element out of Rodrigo's game and still doing all the other uh, things that Bamford uh, can do so well. Yeah it does sound as though we're sort of saying we want Bamford up front and Rodrigo not in midfield which I think presents a bit of a problem for, for Bielsa in the long run right? Yeah yeah definitely and it was like it was something that that we did that in the way in Newcastle, and it did work to some extent. But it was like, I wasn't say it was that good that you'd want to see it more often. One thing I'd just like to go on about Rodrigo is his role in the first goal because I think he the, what I really liked was that where he looked up like three or four times looking for click, and he was he, so he played the ball at the correct time instead of just putting it in there when there was no one in there, which I've, I thought was really good. Mm, yeah, for sure. The situation with Rodrigo is is that he is a very good player, I think, playing in a system that doesn't really suit him. And that's always going to be the way that it is. So um, no doubt we will have this conversation at various points throughout the season. Um, but a, another question that we've already touched on a little bit this morning uh, is about Rafinha. Tom Olderson, have we become too reliant on Rafinha this season? I would say so, yeah. Like, I, I think if Rafinha either... Is if we aren't able to get the ball to him, or like I just, just we we can't create chances apart from through him really, and I just think like the, the alternative options like we saw like Dan James yesterday in the first half, like there just wasn't really much threat on that side of the pitch, so it is concerning, and especially because he looked like he's got an injury now, which so it makes you worried going forward about us being able to create chances without him in there, and the the, the thing as well that I, John um, Josh wrote. a good article on this this week is like I still think there's times when Rafinha is quite it's sort of frustrating with what he does with his chance creation as well so despite him being our most threatening there's, there are times when like it could still be working better I think one of the nice things I noticed yesterday actually about Rafinha and also James I guess is that when you play with inverted wingers what we're starting to see is that Rafinha likes to just cut in on inside on his on his left foot and obviously scores a lot of goals for us there um he scored three goals already like that this season. But at the same time, like so much of our play is structurally set up to hit wide areas, bylines, and then clip the ball laterally across the pitch, that we're not seeing that happen. And 
as much. Partly, I think, because when we like, when we play Harrison, we have that option because Harrison is a left-footed player on the left side, so he can hit the byline and get those balls across. Dan James's initial instinct is to is to cut back inside across, um, and for some reason, despite being one of the fastest players in the league, is unable to dribble, and so you don't really get any. Like you don't get you don't get him going around the outside and then bringing it back onto his right foot. He's always go down the line, cut back inside, and then and then you're sort of coming in from an angle. And I think the issue then is that we saw it a few times in the game yesterday is that you start you start seeing balls just going straight towards the goalkeeper, um, like the goal that we scored against Newcastle, which was a little bit lucky in that regard. Um, that was just a cross from. Rafinha that just wasn't really that dangerous until Rodrigo missed it uh, and then the keeper just hadn't read it and we've seen that happening loads uh, and I think there's a there's a graphic in Josh's piece just showing how many times he is making that ball into the box and I think the reason part of the reason why Bielsa wants us to be hitting those lateral balls from the byline is because it just makes them so much more dangerous uh, the click chance yesterday came from Rafinha hitting the byline and just playing the ball back into the box and then clicks free in acres of space and should have hit the target um, and I, I, I guess that's kind of my worry is that there's like a decision making issue there um, that, that we aren't being able to hit that, but the byline as much as we can. So, so many goals that we scored this season have happened in that way. The Burnley goal as well was Rafinha hitting the byline, going around Charlie Taylor, uh, and then the ball coming out to, to Shackleton. Um, so yeah, I, I do I do sort of worry a little bit about the fact that we seem to be a little bit um, maybe hasty. I guess when you're playing at 100 miles an hour all the time, sometimes you you lose a little bit of uh, space for decision making and and careful thinking. You just mentioned Tom the. The um, Rodrigo passed a click um, from for the first goal yesterday, where he gets his head up three or four times, waits to make the correct decision, makes that pass. And I think sometimes that that is maybe laugh- lacking in Rafinha's game, like the ability to rather than play at 100 miles an hour because he is quicker than everyone and he is able to just go around players like they aren't there. Sometimes I think that we lose a little bit of that decision making as well. Um, Joe, I'll put this one over to you. What have you made of? of our reliance on Rafinha this season? Certainly yesterday we were really reliant on Rafinha, um, too much so. I think Rafinha actually elevated the levels of the other players even um, when he was on the pitch. I think the energy that he was bringing um, was just making everyone else play better and as soon as he left the pitch there just wasn't that player there to spur everyone on. Um, I think it's about finding, it's, it's a really difficult balance to find um, this sort of decision-making thing with Rafinha because um, it also is quite beneficial to have one player on the pitch where you just say, you be creative and you improvise um, and you don't worry about you know the system. You just make something happen. And I think we had that with Hernandez and I think we, we have that with Rafinha. So you don't want to sort of over-coach him or remove any of these really creative elements from his game. Um to, to fit more into the system because actually you need some spontaneity um, and and Josh references that in the article as well he sort of weighs up both sides of the coin so I just wanted to put that other side out there because I love the spontaneous things that he does um, and that's really exciting to watch as a fan but yeah it does sort of come at the cost of um, perhaps some defensive fragility. Yeah I think as well one of the things I noticed yesterday was how much it was useful having him as an outball from 
particularly from corners, but also set pieces. When the ball goes to Melier, he picks it out of the air. He's just got that out ball straight away, the throw out to Rafinha, and then he progresses the ball down to the opposition's penalty area. And you're, you're in a dangerous situation there running backwards and, and he can generate chances a lot more easily that way. And when as soon as he came off, we just lost that. We just didn't have any way really of progressing the ball um, quickly down to the other end of the field. And um, yeah, I, did, we, I don't think we do that without Rafinha. One final question, which I didn't really want to put in, but like a lot of people have been asking us about this. Uh, and that question is, are you worried about relegation at this point? So Joe Hill, are you worried about relegation at this point? I'm not at all worried about, about relegation. Um I think I'm I'm probably quite optimistic in in general in my view but um yeah I'm I'm not worried at all it's only been 6 games there's so many games left and um we've said a few times in in our chat and possibly on the podcast that um there are easily three teams that are worse than us uh, in the Premier League this year so um I think if we win a couple games on the bounce something like that then um suddenly everyone just forgets this question about relegation yeah, I wouldn't say I'm worried either. I'm, I'm probably a little bit more worried than Joe is, but I just I just can't see it happening. Um, I think we have, we have had a, like a, a hard run of fixtures to start, and if it comes to it after this next like this run that we're starting now, it's quite a favourable run of fixtures. And I think at the end of that, if we're still looking, if we're sort of playing in a similar way, but also the results are looking a similar way, then obviously it's a concern. But I think considering the teams we faced, I'm not. I think there will be some sort of improvement that means we should we should be fine. Yeah, I'm not particularly worried about relegation at this point. I think it's you know it is a possibility. We have to say there is a possibility, especially given that we've had the start we've had, we've got the player injuries that we've had and and suspensions and issues like that. And as soon as you get that thin in your squad, as we've said, it's very very hard to look strong throughout a game. So there's definitely like a concern there, but I think it's just it's just not worth worrying at this point because. Um, I th- as you as you've said, Joe, there's still so so much to go. I think we deserved to win at Newcastle. Um, that could have gone the other way. Um, and I think th- there will be games like even even yesterday. I, I said in the in the summary that you know we deserved to lose yesterday, but there's also an aspect that we deserved to win. Like we 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 were we were winning up until the 70th minute, and you would hope that you would be able to hang on to a, a, a win like that in certain scenarios um, with a little bit. Bit, bit, little bit more cogent man marking and, and defensive work. Maybe we would have done. Um, so for me, I do think that the the likelihood of, of relegation is still pretty low. Um, but you know, as Tom said, if we come out of this next quote unquote comfortable run of fixtures without the points that we need to to sort of look comfortable, then I guess the the, the concern will start rising a little bit. But let's not think too much about that. And let's not have me ask questions anymore. Let's have you guys bring questions. This is the bring a topic section where you two give topics for us to discuss. So let's start with Tom. What did you want to talk about? So this is something I feel like I've noticed this year that we're sort of struggling to create big chances and sort of by that I'm not meaning whatever stats company references big chance I'm just meaning like chances where you look look oh that's not just a shot from outside the box it's like sort of like clicks clicks chance yesterday uh, which he missed and I was wondering if this was something that you guys noticed as well that we just we seem to be creating less of those sort of chances this year so like we're, maybe the xg numbers are down but that I feel like we're just we're creating a lot more sort of shots outside the box um 
And I just think our chance creation this year hasn't been great generally, but I feel like it would feel better if the chances we were making were higher chances, and it just doesn't feel like that. So I was wondering what you guys thought on that. I certainly feel like we've missed the big chances that we have got this uh, this season so far. Clicks one yesterday for me is is a really big chance. Um, the game before in uh, against Newcastle, we had Furpos just before half time, which again for me is a massive chance. Um, against Liverpool, there was Rodrigo's in the box. Um, again for me a, a big chance and this is only one a game so that you know that isn't that high you, you should really hope to create two or three big chances per game really um, but for, for me those ones have to be goals they're, they're just too big to, to not be goals um, I know that clicks yesterday went out for a corner it was a slight deflection but um, yeah for me that's got to be a goal and yeah, we, we we probably should be creating more big chances. I, I do agree with Tom because one per game isn't really good enough because, you know, that's only going to be one one goal per game, even if you convert all your big chances. Um, but certainly being clinical with the ones we, we do have um, is something that needs improving for me as well. Yeah, I think the Rafinha goal yesterday is a, actually quite an interesting test case on this because I think most people would see that as being a big-ish chance or at least in terms of this season's um, chance creation, that's a fairly biggish chance. But at the same time, it's still a shot from outside the box, which relies him to absolutely muller it into the bottom corner for it to be quite so comfortable. And, you know, if it were anyone else on our team, that's not a goal, right? No one, no one's disagreeing with that, I don't think. Um, and so it makes me raise a question about whether or not, because of the way that we're generating chances this season in a different way we made we talked about this a lot on this channel so i don't need to like reiterate it but the argument that we've been making is that last season we were able to build up play in wide areas a little bit more and it meant that we could generate those sort of chances in the six yard box which are you know tap-ins which are bamford running to the front post and getting a little clip in and and the ball going in etc and we're just not doing that as much this season um and so yeah i think we are still generating quote-unquote big chances but the ones that you've mentioned there joe um yes yes the, the click one definitely is a big chance but you know he's got a player in front of him and a goalkeeper and he's had to take the touch and yeah okay if he hits that first time this is what josh was saying yesterday if he hits that first time then he's got a really good chance of, of hitting the target and scoring but it's it, it there are players in front of him that you know it's not it's not a chance in the six yard box where you've just got to get anything on it and it will go in um and then yeah the other ones that you've, you've mentioned the rodrigo one Again, he should be hitting the corners of the goal with that, but he doesn't. But it's still like quite a, a distant shot, and um, the I guess the, the junior one as well against Newcastle is, is a tricky effort. Like it's um it's a tough one. It's, it's sort of off the floor, and he's got to get over it. And and obviously, if you snatch at those kind of chances, they don't go in. And I think for me, that's the issue. It's like that when we're talking about creating big chances. Last last season, we're putting the ball in the six yard box and and putting the ball away. And this season, we're I think partly because we are so transitional that we're creating chances which yes the opposition haven't had time to set defensively and so they are bigger chances than they would be if a team were sitting behind the ball but they're still tough chances you still got to hit the target and put them away um, and at the moment we just we don't seem to be particularly confident finishing so for me I think maybe it, it comes down to that, um, that that we are creating different chances and those chances are maybe slightly less likely to go in than the ones that we were generating last season. I don't know what you two think of that. Uh, one thing I hadn't considered until Joe mentioned it then is actually that our, yeah, and 
like you say, John, that our finishing, it just doesn't seem to be as good this year. I was going to try and dig up the post-shot XG numbers from this year, but I just can't seem to find them on FB Ref. But like the start of last season, we we scored quite a lot of goals, but I feel like our finishing was just sort of, it was a little bit mental. <laughs> like I remember looking at the post-shot at this time last year, and we had just made our quality of chances so much better. We'd, our finishing was so good. And if you think, yes, we scored three at Liverpool, but those chances were all fairly tough chances and this year we seem to be making our chances worse so while I, I, do, I do kind of agree with what uh, Joe said that whilst it's not really we, we're kind of remembering that we're, we're sort of missing more a bit of these big chances uh, this year rather than sort of I think we are creating less but it's the finishing is noticeably worse and that might be what, what I'm seeing rather than the the chances being less. Well let's move on to your topic of conversation Joe what is it that you wanted to talk about? I wanted to talk about Tyler Roberts, actually. After the game, I was sort of looking on on Twitter, seeing what people made of it, and there seemed to be a lot of noise around Tyler Roberts and, um, you know, lots of people defending him and lots of people um, saying he was poor. So it just made me think, because it's not something I really thought about at the time. So when I watched the game back this morning, um, I kept a careful eye on him um, when he came on, and I thought he was fine. I don't think he was that bad at all. Um, I don't think he was really good, but there was a couple of nice passes. There was one dinked over into the box um, to Rodrigo, I believe. And there was one where he was on the left-hand side for some reason and he just um, played it into the centre. I think it was a through ball for click, which was quite nice. Um, a couple of little moments like that. And um, I guess it also made me question what his role is in this team because um, this was potentially an opportunity for him to get minutes as a number nine, um, being one player further up the pecking order with Bamford being injured um, and yet he came on on the on the wing so I guess I wonder what you boys think of that and wonder whether that's something tactical or whether that's just because um, Rafinha was injured and we needed someone to play there. It's a tough one to answer this one. I, I, I agree that I don't think Roberts was particularly bad yesterday and um, I don't think he's a winger. I think it's a weird one that he's come on in a couple of games now in pl- ahead of Somerville which would suggest that Roberts is the fourth choice winger and Somerville's fifth choice, which I just I don't think's great. I I, st- I still think I prefer Rodrigo at nine as well. So I would for me I would say that Roberts would be an an eight. And I, I even though he does have problems with, as an eight, I do. There are quite a lot of aspects of his game that sort of the dropping dim, d- deep and linking the play that I really like in that position. That I I think only click does as well. So I think it it does really help us. I think yeah I, I just. I just I think I don't know if this is an experiment with Roberts playing on the wing or it's just that we're trying to we're just it doesn't trust Somerville because it would it would be a, seems to be a weird one and I, I do think the criticism of, of Roberts is harsh as well I, I don't think he's as bad as people make him out to be I think it's because he he misses chances and he he, he the obvious stuff he kind of isn't that good at but the sort of the Lincoln play he is very good at so I would say that for me I'd play him as an eight going forward. Yeah, we're going to talk about shot-creating actions later, actually. But I do think it's instructive that of the players that we've had this season, Tyler Roberts is in the top five of, in terms of shot-creating actions, um, which I don't think is accepted by a lot of people. I, you know, I think it's, it, the ability to create to, to create shot-creating actions is is not an easy one, and it's something that's really important for our team. And for him to be up there amongst the top five in a team that does include players like, you know, Rafinha, Rodrigo, Click, players like that 
shows that the, he clearly is doing something that, that Bielsa wants him to do. And I think the issue with the issue with Roberts is that people, I think, have decided that he's bad, and so you get wild confirmation bias now. So people are people are just watching out to see when Roberts does things bad, and when he does something bad, they're like, "See, he always does bad things." Um, that's not to say that again that I don't think that some of the criticisms are valid. And I think my issue with Roberts is that we've been saying on on, on here for a while. You know, there's certain things that Roberts does quite well, and he's not as bad as people say. But there hasn't been the same kind of upward trajectory that we've seen with maybe some of the other young players who've come through. And I personally would like to have seen, uh, you know, when when you see Roberts missing chance after chance, when it's early on in his career, you can kind of say, well, hopefully that side of his game will pick up and we'll we'll start seeing him become a little bit more confident in terms of finishing. But it's just not happening. Um, and and so that's an element of his game that I think we can now probably say is a little bit deficient he's not the best at at finishing and I think when you add that to a a team of players who aren't exactly great at finishing then then I suppose it becomes it becomes an issue and the, the question then is well could we could we improve him as a squad player could we get a, a squad player who is doing the things that he does well but also adds a lot more and I think the answer to that is yes but again we know we know that we are in this predicament with the squad whereby we aren't seeming to look to improve players like him so yeah it's a tricky one with with Roberts so so I think yeah my take on it is he is generating shot creating actions that is important for the team um he's not as bad as people are saying but there's definitely room for improvement and I think if he doesn't start improving this season then I don't think that we should continue with him for for another season but um yeah Joe what do you what do you make of all of this yeah, I, I do agree that I think this is probably the the season where it has to happen for him. Um, otherwise, for his career, you're probably looking at dropping down into the championship or making a move where you can get consistent minutes and probably as a number nine, if that's where he wants to play, if that's his goal, then uh, he needs to be getting more consistent minutes as a nine. And I don't, I don't see him as a winger either. Um, I think I probably agree with Tom that he's he's the best option or he's a he's a better option uh, as an eight off the bench, um, just to add some creativity and add some fresh legs. But um, yeah, I don't think he I don't think he'll get a place in the starting eleven anytime soon, uh, unless there are more injuries. You know, if everyone was fit, then I certainly don't think he would start. So yeah, we'll be looking to see more of him for sure, but hopefully not too much from the wing. <laughs> One thing I would say on Roberts is like he is twenty two and. Phillips was only 22 when he, I know this is like a bit of a sweeping statement, but Phillips was only 22 when he had that sort of breakout season under Bielsa. So like, it's, I know he's been around for a while, but he's still generally quite a young player. So I, I don't think that he's like, he's a lost cause. I think he, if, if there is a chance that he could go on to be a good player. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. 
There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, let's move on to listener questions. Uh, let's try and fly through these in the interest of time. Um, we'll, I think we'll just do... Let's just let's see how we go. So the first one is from Yudav Chowan, who says, "As we know, Bielsa will never change from his man-to-man system. So, do you think we need to tweak some things in our possession game so we're not as vulnerable to counters? Our team is so stretched while attacking. So, upon losing the ball, falling back into a defensive shape or counterpress is not possible. But maybe with a few tweaks, this could improve. So, this is a question about I, I, I think how how do we protect ourselves from being so vulnerable in in counterattacks?" Um, Tom Alderson, have you got any thoughts on this? It's a difficult one. I would agree that our defensive transitions this year have been pretty terrible. I would say that's probably the worst aspect of our game. But uh, one, we did touch on this earlier that we sort of we commit that many men forward to try and get the upside of sort of creating chances by having that many men in the box and sort of overloading a little, the opposition and. We're not really seeing that as much this year, but we're still seeing the problems that committing as many men forward is is doing. So I, I don't know if there's like, if you sort of try and tweak it so that we're not committing as many men forward, then you're saying you're basically sort of making yourself even worse offensively at the hope of it making you better defensively. And I personally, even though it's really frustrating at times, I think we kind of have to sort of stick with the what makes us a good offensive team over the last four years. So I do understand where where um, where Udav's coming from. That it's at the moment we're not seeing the upside from the from the attacking games. So, but I think that will come in time. I think maybe one of the tweaks we could make is just increasing the players' awareness when we do have the ball. Um, just a bit of an awareness of where your man might be. Um, so, for example, I'm thinking of the second goal yesterday. Um, we mentioned Firpo already, but. Um, basically him and Rice start in the same position um, I think there's a tussle for the ball between Phillips and someone else um, and Rice suddenly starts bombing forward um, I think it might be Suchek actually um, and, and Rice is obviously confident that Suchek's going to win the ball and play him in and Firpo is just so focused on the ball and doesn't see Rice going behind him Um and so then when the the pass is played through to Declan Rice, he's in acres of space and Firpo is way behind him. Um, and I just, yeah, I think that kind of awareness that, okay, there's a duel going on. I'm going to just have a quick look around, see where my man is. And if he's making a mad run, then I need to track that back. Um, even if Leeds then win possession, you know, you can then go back to your original position. But um, I don't think we can let people just bomb forward <laughs> without uh, tracking their runs. I think a lot of this comes down for me in the concept of control because I think that's the difference between what we were doing last season that we're not doing this season is that at least when we're doing those wide build-up plays we're holding the ball, we're not losing it quite so easily and it feels like now because we are so transitional for right or for wrong or for whether Bielsa 
wants that or not. We are we are just learn, losing the ball a lot, and so you're constantly having to do defensive transitions. And I think the the more the more volume of defensive transitions you do, the more likelihood you have of making mistakes and, and having those horrible open moments. So, for me, a lot more of this would be to do with being able to hold the ball. So if we have the ball and we're not having to worry about those defensive transitions, and I think that comes down to a couple of things. One of them is the the high press. Like the reason you'd play a high press in when you're a team like Leeds is because if you can get your high press working well, you turn the ball over to the opposition in in an advanced area and then you press and win it back and you stop the the opposition from making those easy easy um, chances where they can just defensively transition so there's definitely an element of that as well Um, and as you've mentioned with the the second goal yesterday Leeds are in a situation where they are in the press they just don't win the ball and then the ball goes out to one of their I think fullbacks or centre-backs who just then puts it dinks it over the top to to right and then West Ham are away so I think it's, it's just a couple of things for me it's just like we need to improve the things that we're already doing elsewhere and if we do that then we won't be giving away quite so many defensive transitions right question two is from Kevin Fosside Bates who says can, what can we do to be more of a presence in midfield it's looking impossible to win a game in the Premier League with Click and Dallas as our two midfielders Joe what do you make of that um, I guess the short answer would be to sign a central midfielder um that's something that yeah has been an issue over the summer. Um, Adam Forshaw is injured yet again, um, so it doesn't look like we'll be seeing him anytime soon. Actually, uh, I don't think the midfield was too bad yesterday. I thought Click was pretty good. I don't think Dallas was that great. Um, but yeah, I, I felt like it was okay. But um, yeah, there's certainly not very much depth there. And with Roberts having to go play out on the wing, he can't come on in, in midfield. So... Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really sure what more I have to add. I think it's probably just a depth thing for me. Yeah, I'd completely agree with that. I kind of think that the midfield was probably not horrendous yesterday, which is quite a low bar to, <laughs> to use at this point. But we've we've tried we've tried like most combinations in midfield now, and there just doesn't seem to be anything working. So it's it's pretty evident that we just need another person in there. I think again, this comes back to what I was saying before about control. Is that so so often. Leeds don't have players in midfield because the the positional game that we play requires those central midfielders in certain phases of the game to get forward and you just leave the you just evacuate the central spaces you don't worry about the fact there's no spaces there nominally because you think we've got the ball we'll get into a dangerous area and we'll score so it won't matter and the problem is at the moment that we aren't able to generate anything like dangerous chances from those moments and so we're just leaving the the midfield open and 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 then the players are running through and making it look very very open so again it's one of those things where if we're doing other things well elsewhere I don't think people ask this question. I don't think people necessarily worry too much about the midfield. We've had Click and Dallas midfielders in the league last season and it was fine. And I think so much of why we look much worse this season comes down to the fact that we're not doing build-up in wide areas, controlling the ball and generating dangerous chances. And I think as soon as we do that, then we will look fine again. But the question is, like, how do we do that? Why is it that we've suddenly lost the ability to do that? Um and I think this brings us on to nicely onto the final listener question from Fraser Grant, which is, what has Bielsa got against Shaq? He played well today, yet was taken off, and Dallas moved to right back, despite Dallas having his worst game ever in a lead shirt. Uh, also, he never tries Shaq in midfield, despite us having a real shortage of options there. And that sort of ties in with this question about the midfield, um, because I guess Shackleton in midfield is an option that we just don't see very often. Um, we have seen it a couple of times this season, but um, why do we think that Bielsa doesn't like Shackleton in midfield, Tom? I'm not sure why. 
because for me personally, I think we, we all kind of agree on this as well. Whenever he plays there, he, he seems to do quite well. But I think over the last few seasons, like with Bielsa, just I don't think Bielsa sees Shackleton as a central midfielder. I think he sees him as a right back, and I think that's where he can get the most out of Shackleton. So he, it's a hard one because it just it's he's it, kind of just like a person. It seems to be just an opinion thing, and I just don't think Bielsa likes him there. I think the reason that Dallas stayed on is I think Bielsa likes having the option of Bielsa of <coughs> Bielsa likes the option of having Dallas on the pitch because it's just the flexibility that he brings and just being able to cover about eight different positions on the pitch. So I think I just think it's more even though Dallas was pretty terrible and was probably the worst player yesterday, I just think he gives us that flexibility that means that he's more likely to play and stay on. I noticed on for FB Ref this morning that Jamie Shackleton made six pressures in the game and wasn't successful in any of them. Um, I wonder whether or not we think that part of the reason why Bielsa doesn't play Shackleton in the middle is because he doesn't think he's physically up to it. Uh, I don't know what you make of that, Joe. Yeah, I think that certainly could be a part of it because, yeah, he he is quite a small player and he can't help that. Um, I do think he was really good yesterday. I think... For me, this comes down to Bielsa's approach to experimentation with the team. Um, I thought it was really interesting with Cresswell, how uh, after the Fulham game, I think it was, Bielsa came out and said, oh, well, Cresswell was, he basically said he was low down in the pecking order and that that's the reason he brought on Shackleton for ailing against Newcastle. Um, But then just after that one game against Fulham, he's suddenly up in the pecking order and he's ready to start a Premier League game against West Ham. So it just makes me think that Bielsa will never try anything new in a Premier League game. He'll never just spontaneously say, "Okay, let's just try Shackleton in midfield and Dallas at right back, um, unless he has to. And these players that are looking to make breakthroughs, such as Cresswell, um, have to just get insanely lucky or play in a cup game um, and play a, a really good game and suddenly then they get their their opportunity so i think for me it's it's more that maybe another manager would by now say okay let's try a couple games with shackleton in midfield um and see how he gets on but i just don't think bielsa is prepared to risk that and um the question references shackleton getting su- subbed off and i think i know it was it was in added time basically so it's maybe it's not significant but i think this is why shackleton did come off over dallas because dallas has lots more experience and Somerville needed to come on just for some energy um, and Bielsa just isn't prepared to take risks with players that he hasn't seen much of. So let's talk about Statrick Bamford and look at one of the stats from yesterday and, and, and sort of make something of it. I'm actually going to look at the shot creating actions from this whole season so far so six games obviously small sample size caveats etc etc but um, just a a, a list of the per 90 shot creating actions unsurprisingly Rodrigo at the top of that of that list with 4.21 shot creating actions per 90 with Rafinha just behind him 4.19 so very very close and then Mateus Click right up there with them um, 4.10 so yeah 4.2 4.2 and 4.1 they're the big guys who are generating shot volume for us um after that we then go to jack harrison 3.5 tyler roberts 3.38 so we said before tyler roberts in the top five of the of the shot creating uh, actions list uh jamie shackleton 3.04 which i think is fairly impressive given that he's played most of his minutes at right back um junior 2.41 uh, so a little bit of a step down there bamford 1.8 
six, uh, Dallas one point eight three, Phillips one point eight, and then I think what is most interesting about this list, Dan James one point four one. Um, so I've highlighted on the list actually Jack Harrison and Dan James. I think a lot of people were quite critical of Jack Harrison yesterday, um, largely because I think he lost the ball in a central area before the the equaliser. But um, the gap between Jack Harrison and and Dan James at the moment is two shot created actions per 90 at the moment which is a big jump so i'll put this over to you guys um joe we'll start with you what do you what do you make of this do you think this is something which will just iron itself out in time or is are you worried about the fact that, that dan james doesn't seem to be quite so dangerous as a 25 million pound price tag suggests yeah i mean uh it, it it is quite worrying when you consider how much we spent on him um i believe he's our record signing or between him and Rodrigo is pretty close. Um and yeah, I only realized it on the re- on the rewatch this morning that um he was he was really quiet. Um because I was wondering at half time uh, when I was at the game, oh wh- why is he coming off? Um and yeah, on the rewatch I just realized he was really quiet. He didn't really do anything and I think it does have something to do with what we mentioned before about him being inverted as as well as Rafinha in that Jack Harrison can get those shot creating actions, get those numbers up by getting to the byline and whipping a cross in or playing one on his left. And James is always looking to cut inside. And then I guess from there, you're either playing a cross into the box with your right foot curling in towards the keeper, which aren't usually that threatening, or you're just playing the ball outside for an overlap for Furpo or something and he'll generate a, a shot creating action. So I think that might be why his numbers are, are down, but um Certainly, I'd like to see him just have have more success with 1v1s. We see that with Rafinha, where he receives the ball. And, and Jack Harrison is actually getting a lot better at 1v1s, I think. Um, and James, I think, is not having much success in that department this year. And um, yeah, I want to see him beat a man, get into the box, and then, you know, create a chance from there. But we're, we're not seeing it, unfortunately, yet. So it, it is quite worrying, given his price tag, yeah. I do think James will improve as it gets sort of more used to the to the system like I think he's, he's played is this his third league game fourth, fourth game in total so it's like incredibly small sample size to go on um, I also think with with the sort of cutting in side issue is that we what we've seen from Furpo is that he's kind of sort of cut, he's been a bit more central as well so it, it's just sort of they're not sort of taking up the same area but like I just don't think they quite work as a pair whereas I think Harrison and Furpo Whilst it's not been great, I think they have worked slightly better, and I think that will probably help sort of both their shot creating actions compared to James. Um, and also with James, like I just you just you don't feel like he's going to have any threat apart from like when he sort of it's kind of a, a breakaway and a longer ball because like he, and like he but he's he can't even like dribble out with the ball in a breakaway. It's like he has to receive the ball late in space, otherwise he's kind of a little bit useless and. If that's the only way we're going to get use out of him, that's kind of a, that's a bit concerning, and I would like to see him him being threatening in other ways. Well, as I said before, it's worrying to me that he's so quick and yet he's unable to dribble. I, I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that he's very one dimensional. I don't think he has the ability to go both ways around a player, and so I think because he has a tendency to shift it onto his right and try and go around that way, he does have that that move that Josh has talked about. I think where he sort of shapes to go to his right so he'll shift the ball to his right and then he'll drag the ball back across his body to his left but the problem is that even if he does that he's then he's then running in a straight line towards the byline on his left foot being a right-footed player so I just don't see that being a particularly dangerous maneuver and I think we've just seen so many 
centre fullbacks just stand up to him and just take the ball off him and he doesn't look dangerous. So yeah, that's the worry for me. Like I don't disagree that he might become more useful as the system accommodates him, but I don't think he's going to add anything to the to the system that we don't already have. And I, I think that's kind of a little bit worrying. But let's not talk about that too much. Never have we needed positives more than after the game yesterday. So let's let's throw out just a few positives. So Joe, what have you got as positives? We've mentioned him already, but Cresswell, I thought it was a really good debut. Um, it's a difficult job to man-mark Antonio. And Antonio was obviously playing on Cresswell as the um, weaker, in inverted commas, centre-back. Um, but I thought he did really well. And the, the crowds were really receptive to his sort of physicality um it was nice to see him not being afraid to track antonio to give him a bit of physicality and um that was really nice to see um i thought shackleton played really well as as well um our right side of the defense i thought that both between them um they linked up well um i thought shackleton was quite good at playing out of the press um when he was running back towards goal because he's being pressed really hard um there was at least two or three times when um he played the ball directly to cooper and sort of when you'd expect, oh, he'd probably play it back to Melier or maybe back to Cresswell. He he played it to Cooper and then Cooper was in loads of space and um, that was really nice to see. So, yeah, the two performances from the youngsters were, were really great for me. I think Cresswell was good and I think he kind of gave us a threat from set pieces, which really helped us. And then the, sort of the other positive I'll bring is I think Rodrigo played really well, especially in the first half. And that's two good games in a row we've seen from him now. And I would agree with, with Cresswell. I thought he was, he was good yesterday. It's no nice debut to be up against Antonio and I think there were times when Antonio sort of had the measure of him but I mean what what, what do you expect with a, a young debutant like like Creswell but I think it's, it's nice to see him getting to a point where we'd be happy to have him as a potential replacement off the bench uh, rather than just a 23s player he was there to fill up the numbers I thought aerially was very good as you've as you've said uh, Tom but also just defensively it's great having um, a- aerial threat from from defensive situations as well. Uh, and there's so many times when West Ham would just go long and he would clear the ball. There's one moment where he did two defensive headers in a row and got a decent cheer out of the crowd. So I think nice to see that. And yeah, he looks really suited to, to our game. I noticed he had the best um, progressive carry numbers as well for Leeds. So that's nice to see that he is able to to get in, get on the ball and move it forward. And I think as he gets more confident, we'll see more of that happening as well, which is good. So, yeah, all good stuff from from Cresswell. Right, we don't really have much time to talk about the the Watford game. Obviously, we're playing Watford this Saturday, the 2nd, 3pm. So we will have a preview of that game coming up on our Patreon feed. Needless to say, it's a, it's a game that, that we do need to win. So, yeah, I'll give you guys a sentence just to say something about this game. What are the things that that you're sort of looking forward to from this game, Tom? How we deal with Saar, because he seems to be basically Watford's... All, all of Watford's threat comes from him. And if we can stop him, I think we that, that I think they will struggle to score and I think we'll give us a good chance to win the game. But he, he just seems playing... He's playing really well at the moment, so I'm, I'm a bit concerned about how we're going to do that. How about you, Joe? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that and I'm looking forward to having Strauch back um, from suspension, which I, I remembered this morning, which is nice to think about. Um, it'll be good to just reduce the injury list. And yeah, I guess Harrison will be slightly fitter um, because he, he had COVID, I believe. Um, Daniel James might be a little bit more used to the system. And, you know, I'm just 
gradually hoping to that we can get our players back and get them working and get a win on the board because uh, I, I agree with you that we, we desperately need to win this and it's the international break after Watford, I believe. Um, so if we're going into that without a win, that'll be really disappointing. So yeah, hopefully we can keep Sar quiet and then chalk off an easy 3-0 win. <laughs> And we will have a full, as I've said, a full preview of that of that game as we go into the the that final game before the international break. I'll be talking to Jordan Weimer of the Watford podcast about that, so he'll be our guest on that on that show, and there'll be plenty to talk about. Watford aren't a team that I know a lot about, so I'm looking forward to finding out a little bit more about them. And as you've said, this is definitely a must-win game. If we don't win this game, I will start to be a little bit worried. But that's not the greatest note to end this podcast on. As I've said, if you like our stuff and you want to get a little bit more of it, head over to our Patreon. I'll be putting a video up this week, I think, looking at, I think, maybe the chances that we're creating in attack this season. So I'll, I'll take each of the chances that we've we created yesterday and just break them down and see the sorts of context in which they're arising. I think Josh is probably going to do a video on Charlie Cresswell's debut, which will be a, a nice positive video. And we've got our um, 23s podcast with Darren and Tom Wilson of Focus on Leeds as well. So plenty to look out for on our Patreon channel this week. And if you want to check that out, go to www.patreon.com forward slash all stats, aren't we? And with that, we arrive at the end of the podcast. And all there is for me to do is to say thank you to Joe. Cheers. And thank you to Tom. Thank you very much. And we will see you very shortly. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.